0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Tez Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning, produced by the editors and writers at Tez. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy, and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing classroom practitioners today. This season will bring you a wealth of new guests, who will all shine a light on their research and how it translates into the classroom. We will also dig into our archive to bring you the best episodes on past seasons, These will have been chosen because they continue to have relevance for teachers today. I'm Kate Parker, a Features Writer at TeS, and this week we're revisiting an episode from 2019 in which TeS editor, John Severs, discussed the research behind peer learning with Patrick Lehman, a Dean and Professor of Psychology at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Neuroscience at King's College London, and Dr. Harriet Tenenbaum, a Reader in Developmental Psychology at the University of Surrey. Now, in every classroom, at one point or another throughout the school year, peer learning will occur. This may happen naturally in a conversation between two or three students, or teachers may formalise peer learning and dedicate chunks of time to it. However peer learning occurs in your classroom will depend on how effective you, as a teacher, believe it to be in the learning process. Lehman and Tenenbaum have a lot to say on this. And at the time of recording, they had recently completed a big meta-analysis of peer learning to really dig down into whether or not teachers should make use of it in the classroom. To begin with, they discussed the definition of peer learning and some of the misconceptions which exist around it.
1: So peer learning is, is, is has become, I guess, a, a contentious topic in, in some courses of the teaching profession, where people have deemed it uh, an inefficient way of, of conveying knowledge in the classroom or, or a way of even promoting uh, disruption in terms of, of behavior. Do you think that is reflected in any of the research that you guys have looked at or is, is, are these issues more a um, perception of teachers around peer, peer learning or perhaps peer learning done badly? So I think, I think I'd say a couple of things first. that, that uh, Yes, I think it is a, a, a
2: misperception or a misunderstanding of, of peer learning. Uh, I'd also say that I suspect that, that uh, whilst some teachers might be of that view, my experience in classrooms and at schools is that there's quite a wide recognition of the benefits of peer learning. Um, perhaps some of the concerns about it to do with behaviour and to do with being disruptive Um, are examples where we know in any classroom the situations can be complex and messy and young people, children can can often interact in unexpected and sometimes unhelpful ways. I think our view is that of course that happens, but that can happen in the more formal chalk and talk teaching environment just as much as it can happen in a peer learning environment where there's more active hands-on conversation. And if that's managed well, and if the objectives and the processes are right, then what our research shows without question is that that is
1: incredibly beneficial for learning. Mm. I guess the, the beauty of research is that you have to define, define what you're dealing with. And it may be as well that the, the, the definition of peer learning among some critics of it may not be the same as the the one widely understood by other teachers and in the research. So so how do you or how do researchers typically define peer learning?
3: So in our research, what we've said is that peer learning is any time two, cho- two or more children come together to discuss a task or compute math problems together or engage in any learning activity, In our particular research, we actually um, didn't look at when children had been trained to be peer tutors, for example. So in some of the literature, what happens is children are pre-trained how to do this. Um, In ours, we wanted to look at spontaneous conversations because we felt that was more practical for teachers. Mm -hmm. We only looked at when children received no training or given instructions to work together. And that's how we defined it. So simple, simple interactions lasting anywhere from two minutes to repeated sessions over weeks lasting of a couple hours.
1: So this is where a teacher might say, uh, deliver some some knowledge or deliver some analysis and say, can you turn to your partner or can you turn to to the table you're sat with and discuss uh, X, Y, or Z uh, for the next five minutes? That sort of peer experience we're we're, we're defining here
3: yes extremely spontaneous examples might be things like you know you have these multiplication problems do them together but also explain why something as simple as that
2: so we we wanted to have as, as broad a definition as possible while still making sure that we could draw robust conclusions from the research because Every single interaction, whether it's at school or anywhere else, is different and unique and will have different characteristics. But it's such a common feature of everyday life at school and elsewhere that we wanted to capture that spontaneity, but be able to pin down what it was about that interaction uh, and and peer collaboration that could lead to
1: learning gains. So should should we separate peer tutoring from peer learning or is peer tutoring part of peer learning?
3: It is, but in our review, we looked at it separately because someone else had already looked at a review of peer tutoring Mm. and actually they're about equally effective. So so you can train the children, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't seem to be any more effective.
1: So Um, and I guess in peer tutoring, you're more likely to have uh, a mixed ability pairing or a mixed ability group, whereas in peer learning, I guess there's no there's no set parameters of what that peer makeup should be
3: correct which we felt was probably easier for teachers to do in a classroom because peer tutoring you have to have a pretty good idea of what children know at different levels or the more typical way researchers look at peer tutoring is they might have a year four and a year one child and that's great but we felt for teachers in classrooms sometimes it's it could disrupt two classrooms to have to do that. So I think it's a great strategy. Peer tutoring is wonderful, but it's a lot more involved
1: for teachers. And Do you find that when you were you know looking at the research and going out and looking at the, looking at the sort of existing literature that it did tend to be a more um, peer tutoring relationship? I mean, what what happens in classrooms as far as the research literature is concerned in terms of which one's more common? I guess. I guess peer learning is so sporadic that it's quite hard to track. So it's, it's sometimes it's sporadic. It's not entirely
2: unstructured and it can be a deliberate strategy from a teacher to, to set um, children off to go and solve a problem together, but, but without necessarily one who's more expert than the other. I mean, I think my, my view would be that um, there are many different types of peer learning and peer interactions in, in learning environments uh, and in the classroom. And of course, sometimes tutoring relationships can emerge spontaneously for a whole set of different reasons. One one child can just get something before the other one and then communicates that knowledge to them. One of the great advantages, I think, about peer learning is that it removes some of those expert, novice, tutor, um, uh, tutee relationships to, to allow young people, children to contribute more freely to a conversation and genuinely learn together so some of those barriers of of uh, difference authority and all those other expectations which are quite often there in say adult child interaction then they're not there there's there's less of those to overcome to make learning the
1: focus of the interaction in in peer learning Mm. in the literature as well is is it task-based i mean I, I, you can you can intuitively see the benefits, can't you, of peer learning where a child may be more shy to express their view in a whole class situation, but in a peer situation, more likely to discuss. But does this work as well as on, on task-based uh, activities, for example, as you, you get the example of multiplication, uh, problem solving? Is it cross-curricular? Is it is it cross-task, I guess, is the question.
3: Um, Well, we looked at, so we did a meta-analysis, which is a statistical review of findings. And actually, what we found was it's effective in conservation tasks, so conservation of liquids. So children have to figure out, for example, that a liquid is the same amount, depending on the particular container it's in. Mm -hmm. We found it's effective in scientific tasks, general reasoning spatial conservation, and mathematical tasks. Um, it's less effective, what we found, or it's not effective, really, in moral reasoning tasks, memory, spatial reasoning, and creativity. But okay. I think the other, the ones I listed first are much more typical of what uh, occurs in a classroom. Mm-hmm. I there's a lot less, for example, memory tasks. For um, These are tasks... These included tasks that are very experimental, where children had to remember a list of words. So, for which is less covered in a classroom, more likely in a classroom people will teach science, maths, um, things like
0: that, and for those it's effective. So how much does the age of the people play into this? Is there a certain year group or key stage in which peer learning is most effective?
3: We looked at uh, children between the ages of four and 18, mm-hmm. and it worked equally effectively for all of these children. But I think Patrick thinks that part of what's going on may be very different in these two age groups.
2: So yes, I mean, it's I think the, the headline message, if you like, for, for teachers at, at all levels is that Peer collaboration, peer learning works and works really effectively, actually. And there are some variations between different um, domains, different areas, um, and perhaps those that are the most effective are things like science, where children can get more hands on or have a concrete problem to solve together, but it it actually works across the board pretty well. Mm -hmm. In terms of age differences, yes, we found that it works for all ages, but uh, my hunch from other research that I've done um, has is that at younger age groups, uh, that collaboration has benefits for different reasons compared with older age groups. So perhaps at primary school level, children are viewing peer learning as an opportunity to exchange information so they're they're really getting the ideas from their peers and internalizing them and applying them themselves. For older children, when it comes perhaps to secondary school and certainly the later years of secondary education, that peer collaboration is a a genuinely more collaborative process where they are co-constructing understanding and co-constructing knowledge in pairs or in groups or in teams. So it, it probably reflects changes in the underlying dynamics of children's relationships with age so that younger children are more perhaps individualistic learners, not independent, but individualistic learners, whereas older children recognise that actually the work that a group does has more than, than the work that an individual can do on their own sometimes.
1: It strikes me that that distinction is quite an important one for teachers to understand. And I, I, I imagine not many teachers will go from teaching four to six-year-olds to 16 to 18-year-olds, but the notion of this different it's almost a different philosophy or a different ideology of of, of learning is an interesting one to to split those age groups apart, I think. So, yes, I I think it is interesting. Um, And I think
2: as well, perhaps intuitively, a lot of teachers know their children and know what's going to work well with them too. So the, the ways in which teaching is delivered in earlier years compared to more advanced years at school uh, it adjusts to fit that, perhaps perhaps intuitively. Um, and what we're finding from, from a lot of research, and uh, n- not necessarily immediately obvious from this huge analysis of many, many studies and many, many um, school children, but I think there is a sense in which children learn differently at different ages, and certainly that feeds through into the benefits and the mechanisms which make peer learning effective.
0: Next, Lehman and Tennebaum explain the process behind their meta-analysis into peer learning and what the implications are for classroom teachers.
3: So we thought that it was a very practical question and on some level a very interesting theoretical question for both psychology and education. Um, And yet no one had conducted a statistical analysis of all the previous studies and we thought that would be really useful to bring them all together. And so we looked at them, and we found sixty-two journal articles, which is quite a few, with seventy-one studies. And we, in those studies, there were over seven thousand participants in the studies. Um, and that was our method. So it's a big data set. And then we looked at it and compared children working with peers to either children working individually children not working, not doing a task at all, or children working one-on-one with an adult Mm. uh, to see what would happen. And actually that was interesting in that we found that children working in uh, peers did better than children either doing the same task on their own or children not doing the task, but children working one-on-one with teachers Were one-on-one individually with an adult were no more effective than children working with peers, right? And so it was the same. So we think it's something about having possibly to explain yourself doing the task with another person. Hmm. The important point for teachers, though, is that children working with peers were more effective than children working, uh, doing the same task individually, which is what is more likely to happen in a classroom. And in a classroom, we don't even have teachers able to work one-on-one with children very much. That's just not practical. So this suggests, um, certainly I'm not saying teachers should not um, give lessons, but as a follow-up to really make concepts more concrete, it seems that working in a peer group really supports children in their understanding.
1: Was there any indication of of size of peer group is, is pair work more effective than a group table group of four or or a group of six? Is is there any indication of size in the data?
3: That's a great question. We actually looked at it because um, we thought it was really important and we didn't find a statistically significant difference between when children worked um, in with just one other person versus more people um, and there were, you know, just looking this up, there are 18 studies where children did work in groups larger than two children, but we didn't find a difference.
1: So they were just as effective in the group of four, say, as a group of two.
3: Correct. Yeah.
1: We didn't it seems anything. sort of, it seems... With all the recent, well, with all the controversy around group work, that's, that's also happened, and you know, this 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 notion that in a in a group, children can coast, or you know, there's there's always one person who does all the work. This would seem to 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 to, to counteract that claim. <laughs> So there's, I think it is more complex than that, though, because, yes, there probably
2: is a bit of loafing or coasting in larger groups, but that doesn't mean to say that the loafers or the coasters aren't picking up something more than they wouldn't be picking up on their own or in an adult-child interaction. And you could also argue that in a larger group, there are just more opportunities for the right answer to come out. Um, so there is a sense in which, yeah, many hands, many heads can help in that sort of collaboration. And without doubt, when we as adults have one-to-one conversations with people they can go deeper and you have less concern about the social dynamics sometimes than you do perhaps in a larger group where there's a different kind of social task to manage in in that interaction so children adjust to to the groups they're in and try and get and and can get the learning benefits from that, that that are available from that sort of group collaboration but you know yet again Uh, the best people often to judge what's going to be effective are the teachers who know the content and quite often know the children as well. So although we've conducted a huge statistical study of all of the research in this area and drawn some pretty clear and and, um, helpful, I think, really important conclusions, that doesn't take away from the fact that on the ground, the decisions that educators at all levels are making are informed by their expertise about what's going to be effective as well. So uh, I I think, you know, obviously groups of 20 are not the same as groups of three uh, and pairs are different from groups of four. I think, though, the take-home from this research, uh, and there are several others, but the key take-home is that this works. And to say that peer collaboration is just disruptive is, is you know maybe sometimes true, but what it certainly is, is effective.
1: Do you think that uh, it is effective in part because, uh, I don't know, I, I've read something recently, I don't know if you've heard, you know, the nudge from the nudge unit, which is the IKEA effect, which is if you create something yourself, you value it more. Is there a nature, is there something about that in, in, in pair and group work where, creating the, the knowledge or, or coming across or discovering the knowledge yourself or, or or as you say co-constructing it in a group is is more valuable to a child than it being imparted by a teacher so i i think there's something in that for sure
2: um it, it depends on what you're constructing and what you're learning but it, Understanding something, that kind of aha moment that you get sometimes when you're appreciating something and taking in and recognizing its significance, it gives you a sort of ownership and makes you feel that, yes, that knowledge is valued in a different way from perhaps if you're just parroting or rote learning something to repeat it for a test. So from an educational perspective, I think peer learning has um, perhaps arguably a bit more soul to it. Than the kind of straightforward internalisation of stuff from a, a whiteboard. Mm.
1: And you mentioned so your your your, your one of your take homes from, from the research was that that was that this works and the teachers can you know should should, should trust the process. What were the other the, the sort of major take homes you had from the research?
3: Um, one thing that we found a lot of these I should point out are experimental tasks. Sometimes they're not conducted in the classroom. Sometimes they are. A lot of our studies aren't. But one thing that really made a difference were the instructions for children. So when children were instructed to either come to a consensus, or if you disagree, make sure that you other understand the other person's perspective, the peer learning was um, more effective. In fact, um, looking at the statistics, this was a huge difference. So that when they were just told you have done either – agree with the person or understand why they disagree. And part of that, I think maybe that in those situations, it's more difficult to coast or social loaf because you're trying to understand the other person and their perspective and why they think the way they do. And if you come to an agreement with children, oftentimes they won't just agree. They'll argue it Whereas sometimes, if the instructions are just worked together, a child might be more likely to not be engaged.
1: It's Interesting, because in the um, in the group work research, the 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 they're quite clear that you know if you have a group of six, for example, you have to teach the children how to be in a group. You have to give each child a role, and and there's a list of instructions that are this is how we make group work effective. And teachers respond often, well, you know. If I had time to do all of that preparation work, there may be, but, you know, I just don't in the curriculum. Whereas what you're saying about peer work, which, which, which obviously seems quite slightly different, especially if it's in pairs, that sort of instructional phase may not be required. It may just be a, a matter of task design. I think, I think the instruction in that respect
2: is relatively simple, which is making children aware that there are productive and unproductive types of conversation and conflict. I mean, you can disagree, but if you're trying to solve a problem together and disagreeing on the facts of the matter, that's different from just having a disagreement because you don't like each other and you're never going to talk to each other properly. So I think engendering in that sense is... There is a shared objective here, which is to understand something. That's really important. But to prescri- so much prescription in terms of how to organise an interaction. I mean, I, 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 and almost all children I have met will try either to subvert that or ignore it in some way because they have their own relationships with their peers too, of course. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, of course, teachers need to give a frame and instructions so that this is a meaningful task focused on a set of learning outcomes. But, you know, most kids are motivated to learn and are inspired if the material and the tasks are of interest to them. And we have to trust young people, even children, to get on with some of that and do some of that work effectively because they can.
0: So what does research tell us about success as a result of peer learning? Does it, for example, bring about benefits for academic success, social success, and things like soft skills?
3: In our study, we only looked at knowledge accumulation. Um, We suspect it does have benefits for other areas, but we don't really want to argue beyond the data we have. That makes sense.
2: In in this meta analysis, we're specifically targeting on those learning outcomes, because in some ways, uh, for for some educators, that's the money shot these days. But of course, um, you know, social relationships are what makes that collaboration possible. So I've done some research on how that feeds into gender relationships and race relationships and other social relationships amongst peer groups across a class and across a school. And certainly that suggests that there are huge benefits in terms of peers' social relationships with one another of collaborative learning alongside the learning benefits which we've demonstrated in this study that we're talking about today.
1: Do you think that could have a, a knock-on effect? I mean, just looking at social media now and, and the way that, that teens are are sort of cultured to be in terms of my view matters, I'm putting my view out there, and there seems to be a lot of, um, a lot of directing views out and not a lot of assimilation of ideas in. Can we make some sort of correlative uh, connection between peer learning teaching children and teenagers, particularly to, to be more collaborative in, 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 their, in their outlook about, about viewpoints, about learning?
3: I mean, I think that's really interesting because I'm thinking of uh, in this meta-analysis, for example, we have lots of people, a few people who really teach uh, young people how to listen to the other person's perspective. So Deanna Kuhn's work, for example, really teaches young people, and they are adolescents, how to work with someone else. Mm. Um, and I do think For young people, for all of us, the better that we can understand another person's perspective, the better we can learn from them. So I'm not on a social level. I think it is important to teach children to listen to other people, understand what they're saying. Um, And it's interesting in that those instructions do facilitate better academic learning because you are co-constructing, you're listening to the other person. And I can't imagine, even if we didn't look at it, that that wouldn't have um, a knock-on effect onto peer relationships, learning how to talk to other people, learning how to really listen to other people.
0: If a teacher then wanted to embed more peer learning into their classroom, what should they be aware of in terms of planning, lesson delivery, and follow-up?
3: I think what would be helpful? I'm going to give a very concrete maths example, okay. let's say, so if you're teaching children how to borrow and carry right very simple, but well, not simple for young children, of course, right um, and you're teaching them how to do it, you could teach them as a group and then maybe put them in peer in pairs right if they're young, um, and then ask them to solve a few problems as in their uh, groups, but ask them to solve them and make sure that both people speak, that both people agree on their answer and explain why they think that's the correct answer and why they think uh, a different answer is not incorrect. So instead of just dismissing someone's response, if they disagree with it, they need to explain nicely why they disagree with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what that will do is oftentimes it's very difficult for young children or anyone to articulate why they think an answer is correct or incorrect. And so there's something about um, articulating these answers. And also there's some work uh, from other areas of psychology suggesting that when you explain something, you understand it better explanations really seem to help people understand. And so by coming to consensus, I need to explain to you why I disagree with you or why I agree with you. Um, So very simple instructions that wouldn't take more than two minutes to explain this to young children. And then possibly when they're working with each other, go around the classroom and just make sure that they are explaining things to each other, that both children are engaging. And if they're not, you could always say, oh, well, why do you think that? to get a quieter child to possibly um, explain what they're thinking. And then at the end, maybe come together in the larger group and have different groups explain why, what answer they came to and why. Hmm.
1: And do you, is there time limits on that? I mean, are we talking about a quick five-minute task or a 20-minute yeah. task? Is there, is there any prescription there, I guess, from the research?
3: No, I mean, there isn't. We didn't look at that, but I mean, just, I think for younger children, shorter, most, so in the research literature, not surprisingly, with the younger children, the task time tended to be shorter, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's part of peer learning. I mean, we don't, we didn't look at it, it's because it's a feature of the literature we looked at, that with the younger children, the conversations were shorter, Um, And it seems to make sense because with younger children, your tasks are much more concrete. So it doesn't really make sense to have them uh, do these math problems for for two hours, right? So maybe five minutes is good for young children, where some of the older children would do uh, scientific reasoning tasks such as evolutionary theory, which can't be completed in five minutes and may require 20 minutes together or longer,
1: and that monitoring process you you talked about, I guess, is more uh, uh, probably more important for the older groups where the time periods are longer. But do you think that that process you you shouldn't be tempted to uh, try and dictate those conversations, conversations, or or steer them in a certain direction? Do you have to maintain the the organic process that's happening while ensuring behaviour on task behaviour that, that that sort of thing is going on? So I, my view is yes, and what
2: we've done in this meta analysis is brought together a, a, a list of what definitively works. But I think we'd both want to say that, of course, the experts in the classroom in applying that information are teachers who know their children, know the environment, know the tasks, know the curriculum, uh, and know what's going to work best together. So I'm, I'm slightly hesitant about being teachers, um, not being interventionist at all in terms of facilitating a conversation, but I I myself can recognize that sometimes teachers want to intervene to almost prove and demonstrate how much value they're adding. And actually sometimes the answer for a teacher is to make sure the conversation's progressing and that children are making mistakes and saying things that are wrong in that conversation, but learning how to challenge one another, learning how to question their peers, And in that sense, understand for themselves. So perhaps one gentle bit of prescription is don't worry too much if the noise levels are rising a bit. Just make sure that they're focused on the task and being nice to each other because learning will happen. And, uh, you know, that's something that's important to remember about our meta-analysis and the whole area
1: of group peer learning. And i guess I guess the final question is as as researchers and as 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 two people who you know teach students at a university level I imagine as well as doing the research it does the ideological nature of education and, and the multiple views of of what education is for i mean we've talked about the cultural effect of peer learning does that does that get in the way of how an individual teacher will interpret peer learning and and whether or not they will yeah, listen to, to your guys great research and say well it may say that peer learning is great but I, I don't I don't agree I mean how do you see that ideological nature of, of teaching do you find it improves the profession or do you do you find it holds it back so I, I I'm gonna I'm-
2: get on the soapbox in just a second. Uh, I think that it's great to have theoretical discussions about approaches to teaching and to be reflective and critical about that. I think the the greatest danger um, actually across education and perhaps one of the things that acts against peer learning is the drive uh, and the perception of education as merely achieving results and merely achieving certain specific learning outcomes, because what peer learning does, and there is increasingly little space in the classroom for this, is it encourages children, young people to acquire knowledge for the sake of acquiring knowledge and to understand for themselves and to motivate themselves. So, um, I think ideologies aside, there are more pernicious effects in the education system that push against effective learning in the long term. That's my soapbox bit done. I'll pass on to Harriet, who will probably give a more moderate response than that.
3: No, I mean, I, think, I also think that teachers are the experts who will have more knowledge about which children to put together. So teachers and which groups they'll need to even um, intervene with to keep the group moving. So teachers will have lots of knowledge about all their children in their classroom. So actually, I think the teachers in this case are the best people to facilitate peer learning because they know their children they know the students and that they know their pupils.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Test Podagogy. Please join us again next week.